0: Welcome to the Book Evangelist Podcast. here to spread the good news that books and reading will save us all. Lissa and Marion will be talking about what's up in their reading and writing lives, reviewing recent reads, urging each other on to writing triumph, and generally wallowing in the pleasure of hanging out with a friend who loves books. Join us, wallow with us. On this episode, we'll be talking about Magic for Liars by Sarah Gailey, a fantasy novel releasing in June 2019 from Tor. First though, we'll update you on how Camp NaNoWriMo went and talk about readers interacting with authors on social media. Good morning, Marian. Good morning, Lissa happy sunday happy sunday
1: (laughs) (laughs) we're recording nice and early before we dive into our days sort of
0: sort of so my day has had several starts already i have to say i got up at three and then i got up at six and then i've been running around doing some chores Uh, so i'm happy to get the chance to sit down and just talk to you for a while
1: My kiddo came over to um, glue stick a lot of things onto a foam core poster board about the International Space Station bright Ah, and early this morning. That's awesome. And now she uh, has gone back to her dad's, and so I can sit and talk about books, which is lovely.
0: That is good news. And hopefully she knows lots of stuff about the International Space Station
1: now. She knew it. It was the pulling it out of her brain and putting it onto (laughs) the paper. With the glue. With the glue. With the glue that's a different process than knowing
0: yeah yeah my son has been um the new season or year or something of magic cards is coming out so yeah so he's been trying to design a new deck with the new magic cards so he's been printing like sample cards that he'd like to own and then gluing them onto old magic cards so that he can play that deck for a while and see if he really wants those particular cards before he goes and gets them so there's been a lot of gluing around here too
1: yes we had maybe three or four kinds going this morning but <laughs> uh, we were able to 3d print a um, replica of the first 3d print ever made on this international space station to a cool in our project so i felt like you know that was the special flair we were yeah bringing. and what was it um, it's, a, um, they claim it's a replacement part so that they could prove that they could print replacement parts, but it's a replacement like branded nameplate for the printer. In case, <laughs> in case that broke. <laughs> okay. So we have made our own replacement branded nameplate for the printer, um, okay. but it turned out really cute, so. Excellent. And probably, you know, more interesting to look at than like a sample container or a stick or a vintage, Probably.
0: So. We've had some 3D printed things for projects. A bust of Franklin Roosevelt, uh, a Pullman car, a brain. Um, yeah, so several 3D printed accessories.
1: Those all sound much more complicated than ours. <laughs> ours was very flat, no supports, no, I mean, it was easy to print.
0: Well, I have to admit the Franklin Roosevelt was super cool.
1: So it, it
0: added some flair too. Excellent. We'll have to
1: work our way up to harder projects. At first, she said she wanted to print a replica of the International Space Station. <laughs> and I spent about four minutes researching that and said, no. No. no, no. <laughs> Let's find Maybe a we tool should rethink thing. this. Yes. Yeah. <sighs> Excellent. This is really why we escape into reading, right? Because 3D printing <laughs> homework is hard.
0: It is. Well, I just take the tactic of never really learning how the 3D printer works. So. I just say, let's make this. And then other people have to do the actual technical production of the item. Uh-huh. So that works that's, well.
1: That's smart. Because I did like four <laughs> days of troubleshooting to get the printer to work so we could do the thing. But I learned yeah. a lot.
0: Yeah. See, you have, you have skills. So that's good.
1: Yeah, I have persistence, which is like <laughs> skills by the time you finish. Well, so speaking
0: of persistence. Yes. And skills. How'd your Camp NaNoWriMo go, (laughs) Lissa?
1: Oh my gosh. Did April happen? Because I kind of missed it. Um, Camp NaNoWriMo, like, I wrote, I think, five sentences of my story sometime in the middle of April. I think this was a new level of failure for me.
0: (laughs) Well, this is the funny thing, because, like, in terms of, like, NaNoWriMo itself, the November big event... Both of us are kind of really good at that. Yeah. you know, track record is excellent. I started in 2012, and I have made my 50,000 words every year, and I'm always early. And you are like,
1: I started in 2003, wow. and I won every year, and yet it came. every year. Every no, year I fail so long. fail so much.
0: Failure, it's amazing. And and I'm like, what is the difference? Because I I also uh, it may be a little bit better than you, but a big fail. And I had said I was going to write. 30,000 words of this new novel, and it was just going to be, like, fun, no pressure, side project away from the big novel that I'm supposed to be rewriting, um, which also is going terribly, but, and I, and plus I was going to dictate it so that I could, like, work hard on my novel and then just dictate this fun Camp Neto novel because, I my hands won't withstand too much typing. yeah. And I dictated 5,000 words,
1: I guess. That is like um, 1,000 times more than I did almost.
0: And there you go. But then my birthday is in April. And as a birthday present, I got a Pass to masterclass which we'll probably talk about some more in a little while Yes. but then I, I started the Neil Gaiman masterclass and I gave up on my Camp NaNoWriMo novel and just started doing all the exercises associated with that and mostly I do the exercises so that I can earn another episode of listening to Neil Gaiman talk to me
1: that's uh, a solid <laughs> reward
0: there you go so I did write 5,000 words of this crazy book that I may go back and write you never know um Particularly, weirdly, after reading Magic for Liars, it gave me hope for my camp novel. Um, And I wrote some, like, flash fiction pieces and a bad short story and stuff like that in April. So, uh, not what I said I was going to do. Total bloodbath as far as actually, you know, winning at Camp NaNoWriMo. But I wrote some
1: words, so that's something. I'm proud of you for writing any words.
0: Thank you. And I always sign up for Camp NaNo, even though, you know, I never win.
1: I, um, yeah, I do too. <laughs> and I always <laughs> think of a new project. I do and too. I, it's exciting every time. I'm way better at planning for Camp NaNoWriMo than for real NaNoWriMo. Like, oh, I'll do the RIMO all month, and I'll, like, try to figure out my plan. And then it's just when April actually starts that. Yeah. I completely abandoned everything.
0: Well, April is the cruelest
1: month. It is for writers. <laughs> um, I did produce an entire elementary school yearbook during well, April. see,
0: that's pretty awesome. I did it, not do that.
1: I don't think I made any fictional stories happen in it either, which is probably good. Um, and I did read um, Becky Chambers' a, The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet. Ooh. And I think that's part of what pulled me off track for NaNo because I suddenly was like, "Oh, this is a great story set in space and I was going to write a story set in space and maybe I better read this story to prepare." And then my brain was like, "Oh, reading's awesome. You should just read."
0: Yeah. And then there's also always the danger that you're like, if it's a really good book set in space,
1: yeah. then
0: then you just feel bad about, you know, your own efforts towards space books. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was originally supposed to write a space book for Camp NaNoWriMo, and that didn't even make it to April 1st before I trashed it.
1: And I know, because then I was going to write a space book, too. And then I was like, but wait, now your book's not in space. Yeah. And then I was just reading space books. So. Yeah. But you like space books.
0: I do. So I don't need to feel like, you know, guilt for no, dragging, dragging you NaNo. away from, from your you true love. Me
1: toward a space
0: <laughs> book. It was lovely. It was lovely. Well, there's always November. You can just recycle your idea then.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah, because you do have some interesting November habits with regard to nanorimo as well, in terms of, you know, committing to a story or like that.
1: It's like I have seasonal challenges with writing. <laughs> <So> I, lovely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: So you were saying that you do the Instarimo challenge, getting ready for Camp NaNoWriMo, and I do yes. too, and that's usually over on the Instagram.
1: Which I joined uh, specifically to do Instarimo with you.
0: I think, I think we did. We joined it together a couple of years ago. Yeah. Just so that we could send each other pictures of InstaWriMo challenges. Uh, but I actually like Instagram. Of all the social media platforms, it's the one I like the best. Uh,
1: You have great pictures. Well, thank you. And thoughtful Instagram posts.
0: (laughs) I don't know about that. My life seems to be a, I have enough, I guess, uh, disaster and drama all the time that there always seems to be something to take a picture of. And I do take a lot of pictures of like cookies and cups of tea and books because I'm like, this is my fantasy of like the calm moment of my day. This is, you know, ah. the one moment. I why
1: I like your Instagram? <laughs> it's like my fantasy of a calm moment. Ah, I didn't
0: have. I didn't have. I just had that one. I work hard to get that one moment of of not being on the ragged edge of of disaster all the time. <laughs> so,
1: yeah. And but celebrate it.
0: It's like a I gratitude It okay. is like a gratitude journal i like that. Although I follow the, the #huga hashtag and those people are like, they're beautiful, like gorgeous white interiors and everything's so calm and the vegetables are glowing. And and it's just very soothing to look at those nice pictures, even though I know it's all lies as far as reality goes, that no one with all white house, it act, they never look that good. Those people can't actually live in those spaces. So, but you have been, uh, interacting with people over on Twitter.
1: I know it's my Twitter experiment. So tell me about it. Well, um, sometimes when I get really excited, well, if I get really excited about something and there's a picture associated with it, I try to put it on Instagram to show you. And um, I mostly don't put pictures of my kids Mm -hmm. on Instagram or Twitter. I try to make that be like more just me. Um, So when I get really excited about something with no picture... Or if it's like really just solidly about books, I try to put it on Twitter. And then I realized you could tag the author that you were talking about and that they might see what you were saying um, or that their fans might see. And so then I started experimenting with that. And it's kind of lovely.
0: So you um, were. I was trying to remember which book you in particular had been
1: tweeting about. (laughs) The City in the Middle of the Night. That's the so one if you get really right obsessed with a book, then you can go to Twitter and find other people who are obsessed with the book, like in an entirely different way than like posting a Goodreads review, which I don't think I've even done for that book. Um, you can go like just be obsessed with the book on Twitter and see other people who are having that same like I just discovered this book and it's amazing the moment and you can all just uh-huh. be excited together. And then the author sees and like joins in to the thing. So the first time that I posted about that book, um, I had fallen asleep um, reading it. And I um, posted about where I had fallen asleep reading it. And I found my place because I had opened a browser tab on my phone to look up a word. Mm -hmm. And so when I came back to my phone, that definition was up. And that's the space I was at on the book. And when I posted about it, the author replied and said, ooh, I know exactly what part of the book you're at. I was very careful to avoid reusing the same words for different effects of light and shadow, so I could <sighs> tell off the top of my head exactly what scene you're at.
0: That's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, that's like my first real Twitter experiment, and so like that was lovely. And so then I found more reasons to, to write about books on Twitter and tag the author um, to see if that was a place where there was I don't know, a chance to connect about how great their book was and how it how it made me feel or how I reacted to it.
0: Now, I may have to try that. So you had been talking about this author responding to you and how that added to your experience of, of reading the book. And I have avoided Twitter for a long time because... I guess it seemed to me like Twitter was an angrier place <laughs> and it's really dense like it people tweet a lot more new numbers of items than they ever would put on Instagram or Tumblr or Facebook hopefully um, or whatever but they tweet like a lot and it's just like this avalanche of information and it just seemed to me like it was going to be too much for me, and I can't, it's not linear enough. I can't follow this kind of maelstrom of, of words and pictures and gifs that are flying around everywhere. But I decided I would try to, and I've had a Twitter account for a long time, just so that I can follow certain people, like Jeffrey Chaucer, who's really funny uh, and tweets in Middle English and is... Deeply funny. Possibly
1: not the real Geoffrey <laughs> Chaucer.
0: Oh, come on. Of course it's the real Geoffrey Chaucer. He's only been dead for 500 years, Lisa. Uh But yeah, so he's really funny. And William Shakespeare and uh, like that. So, but I'd never put anything out there. So I decided I would try Twitter. And this coincided with a recommendation to me that I send off some materials to a writing contest on Twitter. And this is, I think, where this story goes downhill. So I did. And um, naturally, uh, it didn't go anywhere. <laughs> you know, I sent my materials off. And the contest was Rev Pit, and the people at Rev Pit are really, really nice. I got to say, they were... Despite my feelings that Twitter is an angry place, the RevPit people are just really lovely and supportive and friendly. But sending things out, materials out into the world or tweets out into the world is it's Twitter's like spitting into the ocean, you know. And you can spit into the ocean for a long time before the water's any different in there. And The kind of uh, echo chamber silence back to me, it hit me pretty hard. I mean, I didn't feel bad about not winning the contest or whatever, because I never do feel bad about that. People like what they like and do what they do, and I don't frankly believe that the results have anything to do with the quality of what you're sending in, if that Mm. makes sense. yeah, It has to do with just... What people are looking for. And for example, I'm brand new to Twitter and don't have, you know, 2 billion Twitter followers. And if you're an editor who's doing this, you want it to raise your profile. And it isn't going to raise your profile if you choose me. Because I don't have a million followers, if that makes right. sense. So I have
1: 39 followers. I, I think,
0: weirdly, I think I have 40 or 50, but I'm sure I don't know why. Um, well,
1: probably from doing your red pit thing, like actively it, interacting.
0: I did actively interact with people, and it was okay. But I do take a look at it. I've reached the point within a month of not really reading my Twitter feed because it's depressing. Um, Because as much as Instagram is full of perfect life moments or the the, uh, facade of perfect life, Twitter really is. I mean, it's full of either A, Complaining about people, which there is a lot of, I found out, or there is a lot of, or vicious self-promotion, just like hardcore self-promotion, and both of which I find distressing. So um, I tend to blip over a lot of it and just read the ones that I've discovered are, are safe for me, and or and or interesting to me on people who write on subjects that are of interest to me. Um, so I don't know whether I'm going to settle down into. Learning to love Twitter or not.
1: I follow but almost. No I think one the concept of. In-
0: yeah, me too. But I think that the concept of, of the immediacy of interaction with a writer that you don't know and in the past would never have had an opportunity to interact with is really cool. And maybe I need to leave writing Twitter alone and concentrate on reading Twitter and tweet about yes. books that I yes. like. Yes.
1: I think being a reader on Twitter is like the coolest and trying to make Twitter, like, do things for you is not going to be very fun. Yeah. Yeah. Being a fangirl on Twitter is amazing. (laughs) Because (laughs) you can just... It's acceptable to be like, this was amazing, and now I want to do this. And other people are like, that's amazing. And, I mean... Yeah. Well, you know,
0: I... Like I said, I have been resistant to Twitter. And because... I need to research things before I step into them. I was at, well, I go to writing classes all the time and I can't remember which one or which many it was, but they talk, always are talking about how you have to have a platform, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. So, and I, they're like, you must have Twitter and you must have a website and you must have a blog and you must have this and you must have that. And I was like, but what if I don't wanna? And what if that's taking so much time away from actually creating content that I never get around to writing a book. So because I'm obstreperous and intransigent, as my mother would say, I uh, did a little bit of jiffy research on writers whose work that I like or have liked or who write things similar to me and what social media platforms they actually use and how much. And Twitter is the king. Like if you look at Rainbow Rowell, who's fabulous, right? Um, yes. She does have a website, of course, and it's mostly news and stuff like that, but not updated super frequently, maybe once a month. And she has an Instagram with 132,000 followers. That's
1: uh, a lot.
0: Yeah, which is mostly content. It's mostly her books and, like, selfies with other writers. And I follow her on Instagram, and she doesn't post very often. Uh, 609 posts on the day that I looked, she had ever had. Uh, But her posts are wonderful. they frequently dessert. Um, Excellent. But on Twitter, she had tweeted 2,856 times and had 173,000 followers. A lot of it was retweets uh, and general life stuff and stuff like that. And she does have a Facebook account with 94,000 followers, but very infrequently, I think probably it's a placeholder, you know, or a cover reveal type thing. But most of her interaction is going on on Twitter, uh, in terms of like media presence or how often you see her. Um, and I did some other writers to Rebecca Stead and RJ Palacio and, uh, Catherine Valente and, uh, uh, Rick Riordan and Holly Black. And it, it followed like that. Mostly they had a ton of content on Twitter, maybe because it's so short you, know, you can just like dash off a sentence and spit it out there. Uh, but it is interesting, the kind of concept of how you present yourself in a digital environment, how you build yourself up as a, a personality in people's eyes uh, and how you choose to interact with people electronically.
1: It is. It's like a whole thing that we certainly did not learn in school. <laughs> and That's I think for both of us, like we use our real full names on the internet. Yeah, I do. Uh-huh. Um, so it's not a secret because like it's our real full names. It's my real full um, name. Right. So then like for me, that works really well because I'm then always being me. Mm-hmm. And so whatever I'm being and posting and building and performing, it's me. Um And, I mean, there are people who only use the Internet under, like, obscure other avatar kind of Mm -hmm. situations. Um, I don't know. So I feel like we can just, we can do these experiments on the Internet where we try to find new ways to make technology work for us and help us be more us.
0: And I was thinking, there's, like, being me on the Internet, I have made some choices. Like, I also never post on Instagram, pictures of my children or my husband who does not like to have his picture posted anywhere. Um, And I do have friends who have author names who are not their real name and they all their social media is under that name and people refer to them by that name as if that were their name, which is is great. uh, But this is your alter ego. And, uh, but yeah, it's, you know, I think I'm just me, and and I'm not that that thrilling. So, you're pretty, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's a uh, you know, I'm only ever going to be me. It's too late for me to be anybody else. So I don't mind um, using my name, and and you know, when I'm a super famous writer, uh, I would just assume it be you know me. I want to be both rich and famous. So yeah, there you go, or or really rather not, but. Uh,
1: but if people were going to read and interact with your books, right. then letting them see who you who I are am. Yep. is part of that if they're interested. That's right. So, and and sure. sure. And there's pictures
0: of my cat, though. She loves to be on social media, I'm sure. So I do post her picture.
1: Well, she's I don't very... feel like she would interrupt your writing as often as she <laughs> did if she didn't want to be included. That's true.
0: Yes, she yes. does come in and sit immediately in the middle of my computer and just, Give me a look. Yesterday I found her sitting on my laptop bag because I'd thrown it on the bed and so she sat in the middle of that and just gave me looks. So
1: she's she's trying to insert herself into the process. And she, she
0: is fine. very and she's good looking. So it helps. You know, if I was that beautiful, I'd put my picture all over social media too. Excellent. So we had talked a little bit about um you we were talking about electronic interaction with readers and writers. And we both also have um, a habit of doing in-person live communication as well, a lost art, maybe.
1: One we're trying to revive.
0: (laughs) One we're trying to revive. And so I've been kind of doing both of those things. This month, yesterday, I went to, at the last minute, I might add, and without any advanced planning, to a an event called Lit Up, which was sponsored by uh, the local library here. And it is in its second year, I think. And it is a literature festival for young people, for teenagers. And it's run by teenagers, which I think is fascinating. And I would love to know how they fundraise for it or managed to run it, and are they going to hand it off to other teenagers? Does it have legs to continue stuff? Because it was a fabulous event, uh, free of charge to me through the local library. And I, I took my daughter there, who is 14, and she had wanted to go. So we went, and I stayed with her. So then I ended up going to it as well. And I don't think I have ever been to an in live literary event with as much swag as that event had I mean it was astonishing Lisa.
1: you sent me a picture of a pile of swag
0: Ah, that's not even I mean so you walk in and they gave us a a bag when you walk through the door and it to carry your stuff in but it had uh, like a travel mug and a journal and a pen and a pair of glasses and all branded for this thing and then I came home with 13 new books, all of which were free to me.
1: And I couldn't tell from your picture. Were a lot of them advanced reader copies or was No, no, no,
0: no, no. They're they're all uh, commercial copies. Every one of them. Every one. And it's and most of them are, you know, YA books, which is great because I read a lot of those. But this includes two Books by Jacqueline Woodson that she signed, and a book by Gail Foreman which she signed, and uh, Darius the Great is Not Okay by Adib Karam which he signed, and I just think that's astonishing.
1: You Thirteen, like met, you, that's amazing. I met
0: them. I met them. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. In the in the uh, Gail Foreman was the keynote in the morning, and I was listening to her, and I looked over and realized I was about four seats away from Jacqueline Woodson, and I had to like restrain myself from. Yeah, like screaming and <laughs> and carrying on because you know she's a rock star. So yeah. so now I have a copy of Brown Girl Dreaming signed by her, which I just think is amazing. And all these others—they're they're pretty like new books. I know Darius the Great just is brand new this year from Dial. And those uh, are
1: pretty hot authors. I mean, this sounds pretty like hot an authors. Event. It was no, Knowing nothing about it really, but it sounds like an event that was designed to bring in rock stars. And help, it is, it is. Help uh, teens become readers who see the cool authors as celebrities. Celebrities.
0: And in the, they had like the morning keynote and then the post-lunch keynote, which was Jacqueline Woodson. And then in between then, there was two sessions in the morning and two in the afternoon that you could go to. They had a poetry session, nonfiction, graphics, and fiction each time. So that's 16 sessions of which you could choose any four. And what was interesting is those authors, they're all in interview format. So one of these teenagers who's running this event would interview that person and ask them questions, real live interaction, and then a crowd could ask them questions, anything they wanted to ask. And it was really, really lovely to see teenage people who are interested in reading and writing asking questions of these people. How do you do this? Or... Or, you know, what are you thinking here? And, and what does this mean to you? And, I mean, I learned some stuff like Adib Karam, who turns out to be just the loveliest guy. I, I told him that I'm just going to buy every book he ever writes from now on because he's so lovely. Um, but he was really fascinating. And he said one thing somebody asked him about getting out of the doldrums or, or writing better. And he said that what he, he got advice that he has taken and he was giving it to go and find a book that he really loves that somebody else has written and that he wishes he could write a book like, and then type the whole thing out. Ooh, I know. And he said, he's done this three times and it has really taught him about how a book goes together or the rhythm of the words and how things look on a page, just the copy, the concept of typing out something else somebody already wrote. Uh, and I don't know that I would have the patience for that, but I think it's totally and completely fascinating. So if I ever get really stuck, maybe that's what I'll do is go and get Station Eleven and you know, type, type it out.
1: You know, I feel like Chris Beatty says something like that in um, no plot, no problem, although it wouldn't be the whole book because who has time for that in November? <laughs> um, I guess you'd have
0: to do it beforehand, yeah, but' <laughs> maybe,
1: anyway. maybe. preparation. so just uh, but it might just be to go look at favorite yeah. books or passages. Yeah. If you need guidance, go look at things you love for the guidance.
0: I, and I do do that sometimes. I read short stories by authors that I admire to remind me of what the cadence of their speech is or what it is that they're doing. I take it apart and look at it and it does often jumpstart me into what it is I want to be doing as opposed to how things are going. So, But it was, it was a different experience for me to go and, and see and speak to these people Live and in person than to interact with them electronically, but Definitely. but how often is an event like this gonna you know happen in my life or anyone's versus how accessible and immediate maybe social media is
1: and prioritizing both. Yeah, I mean prioritizing social media in a way where it doesn't eat your soul or all your time or distract you from your actual priorities but so you still get something out of it that's useful to you or enjoyable to you, but then also prioritizing getting to these events.
0: Yeah. So I was I was happy that my daughter wanted to go. She had a great time. I had a great time. Uh, certainly we got many, 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 many new books to read so I can be even further behind in my TBR.
1: Which is a thing. Which is a thing. <laughs> yes. I did not... Um see any authors yesterday that I can remember. But you have it run... It was a long day.
0: Yeah, but you would have run, like, or been to, like, author fairs at the oh, library. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, and
1: then you get that chance to, like, practice talking to the people in person, which I think is, is interesting because it's like you get to hear their elevator pitch if they have one, and right. they should. Um, but then also, I think it's really... I'm kind of a confrontational reader, maybe. I'm okay with having a person I love dearly or respect a lot and saying, oh, what's your book about? Oh, really? I don't want to read that. But (laughs) I bet we could find some people who do want to read that. That sounds like a book for other people that they would like. Um, And so I don't, well, I just, there's a lot of things I don't want to read. And I think as a reader, there's strength in knowing that.
0: Yeah, it's funny because like like I said, I got all these signed books yesterday and most people who were getting books signed want the book made out to them. Right. And I I never choose to have that done. I just get it signed because I like signed books. But I'm also trying not to own a quarter of a million books, which I'm perfectly capable of doing. And if a book has my name in it, I feel like I owe it something. But if it's just signed, whether I love it or whether I don't, I can give it to someone else. Right. And um, I was talking to Gail Foreman when she was signing my book, and she was saying she thinks you're smarter just to get her name in it. And I said, well, you know, yes, because she's like, you might want to send that book out into the world. I'm like, that's true. I think I've given away 10 copies of Station 11 to people. If I had a signed one, I would not, by the way. I would cling to that book. But I love the book, so I give it to other people all the time, and then I need new copies. So whether I end up loving these books or not loving these books, it gives me freedom to to give them to other people who might enjoy them more than me,
1: you know? Yeah, Yeah. and I think all those ways that we connect with the books, whether it's the actual author signed it in front of us or we've acquired a signed copy through our newest book crate kind of thing or we um, met the author or we Mm -hmm. got the author to, like, tweet back at us on Twitter um, or just we somebody we love recommended the book to us those are all ways that enrich the reading experience Mm -hmm. in different ways. So now when you give those books away, that's not just Marion gave me this book. It's Marion gave me this signed book.
0: I actually did give the Gilded Wolves away yesterday. (gasps) Uh, Yes. I decided I wasn't going to read it again. And, and it's better to give it to somebody who would probably really enjoy it. And it's such a beautiful book that it deserves to be held and loved on. And I was just going to put it on a shelf and leave it there forever and ever. Poor thing. And, um, yeah, I didn't want that to happen to it, so I let it go.
1: I've been more aggressively letting go, um, like, chapter books and, like, little kid books yeah. in my house. That's hard. Also, it is. When you um, read my, it and and a thousand times. my kids have times. to help, yeah. Um, and then also books of mine that I don't really think I want my kids to read, not, like, in a censoring way, but, like, in a, this isn't actually that special to me. Yeah. So when yeah. we get to the age of reading these kinds of books, we don't really need to think this one is special because it's not they're not
0: they will be something new
1: um, but I'm sitting on all those teen ones for when my kids get to be teenagers <laughs> for now
0: <laughs> do you have all the like sweet valley high or something or uh babysitter's um, club what was your what was your
1: oh the I did babysitter's club, and babysitter's then I club? Had a, yeah I've got a pretty good stack of just like YA paperbacks that I really loved
0: yeah yeah people and in the got moonlight got camping books come in
1: the mail yeah sure yeah,
0: yeah. so one of my main goals is to, because I've been taking a book box for a long time, is to read my backlog of books I've not gotten read from them and and sort them by keep versus send away. I do have two children who are readers who are already at the appropriate age for that. So I'll ask That's them, like, true. is this going to be a book that you want? And um, if it's not, we can find a friend or a librarian who wants that. So.
1: So we read a book.
0: We did. Read a book. I finished it this morning at like 6 o'clock in the morning.
1: Oh, you're in like the daily <laughs> of
0: reading. <laughs> yes. Well, I, you know, I I had a terrible reading month in April as well as a terrible writing month. I, I finished two books, which is just pitiful for me. I, I have been in the middle of lots of books, but I finished only two. And so I had read big chunks of this one and enjoyed the big chunks I was reading, but then I would lose it in the house and then have to go find it or crazy town stuff would happen and I wouldn't read anything for a week. And so it took me a, a surprisingly long time, but I read the last half of it yesterday and this morning. So so it should be good and, and fresh, I, right? I
1: read the last, yeah, definitely. I read the last half kind of all in a big chunk, although it was a couple days ago, um, but it started to really pick up at the end and then I kind of couldn't put it down.
0: Yeah, so this is Magic for Liars by Sarah Gailey. And it is coming out in June from tour, We are ahead of the game here. Thanks to you and you're uh, nicely sending me the ARC for this book. Um, which, the, so you chose it. You said this is the book we're going to read. So why did you choose it? And tell me more about it as well.
1: Um, Well, according to Goodreads, this is a sharp mainstream fantasy meets compelling thrills of investigative noir in a fantasy debut by rising star Sarah Gailey. And the description says, Ivy Gamble has never wanted to be magic. She's perfectly happy with her life. She has an almost sustainable career as a private investigator and an empty apartment and a slight drinking problem. It's a great life, and she doesn't wish she was like her estranged sister, the magically gifted Professor Tabitha. But when Ivy is hired to investigate the gruesome murder of a faculty member at Tabitha's private academy, the stalwart detective starts to lose herself in the case, the life she could have had, and the answer to the mystery that seems just out of her reach. Um, I just thought it looked fun, and then it had an unreliable narrator right from the start. It does. And I had already started it before I found the print copy for you. Um, I had started the digital ARC. And so I was like, oh, unreliable narrator, and it's, you know, mainstream fantasy. This will be interesting to read with Marion. Those are my thoughts. There you go.
0: So you knew that it had an unreliable narrator and more or less what it was
1: before you started reading it? I did not know it had an unreliable narrator, I don't think. Okay. And have you ever read anything else by Sarah Gailey? No, because I think this is her debut novel. It is a
0: debut novel, but I looked her up, and she is like a, what's it, Hugo or Nebula Award winner, um, and she's had a Nebula Award finalist. And who, okay, she was a 2018 Hugo and Nebula Award finalist, and oh, well, that she is good. she's had some short stories and novellas, and I have to tell you, having looked at the novellas now, I want to read them. <laughs> because Excellent. it's uh, the the main one, that's the big winner is called River of Teeth, and it's about apparently in real life there was a plan to import hippopotami to the United States, uh, and have them you know inhabit our rivers and stuff, and as a meat source because they're nice big animals, but of course they're vicious, horrible, <laughs> aggressive. Animals, hippos may may look kind of dumpy, but they are hardcore. And so this is what if they had really done this, and then our rivers are full of these big, large, bitey, aggressive, animals. aggressive animals. And that sounds totally entertaining and fascinating to me. And I saw that I think her next book is a western. <gasps> I know. And I was like, wait, I was just writing a fantasy western. I need to get on a ball and write the fantasy western. So, yeah. So, apparently, but this is, as you said, her debut
1: novel. So, I loved it because of The Unreliable Narrator. Um, And um, I, pretty early on when I was reading it, um, reflected on... um, how wonderful the unreliable narrator was for me um the thing i ended up um, i actually saw on twitter um a quote from the book um that's uh, from the tour.com twitter which i follow Mm -hmm. and um, they were promoting the free excerpt that they were sharing in march and the quote they shared was it might take a little while to get there but i'll tell you everything and i'll tell you the truth And to me, that was just really compelling. Um, I think I probably read for character and for character development over all things right now. And so, um, so the thing that I ended up sort of reflecting on at the time when I read that quote was that maybe the thing I've always enjoyed about unreliable narrators who are written as such openly by their authors is that we're all unreliable narrators of our own stories, and the path in those particular kinds of stories are often those of people who are seeking or hiding or revealing their truths, like more than stories that purport to have reliable narrators. Yeah. It,
0: um, it, it's interesting because, you know, like the little write up that you said, says you know, she totally does not want to be magic. And she tells you, oh, I've never wanted to be magic. But it's, it's clear from the beginning that she would really love to be magic. You know, yeah. that this is something her sister has that she desperately, desperately wants. And she just won't admit to herself that this is something she really wants. Uh, right at the beginning of the book, when she's walking into her office, there's a, a, a dead light bulb. And she tries to use magic to fix it. And then, of course, she fails at this. And that that little action tells you that she really feels cheated. Um, and she is totally unreliable in terms of of that. So I thought that was well done of her.
1: Um, yeah. And it, throughout the book, she she has multiple moments where she um, imagines what it would be like if she was or imagines how her life would be different if. Um, and her sister is her twin sister. Her, yeah. So, like
0: identical twin, I think.
1: Yeah. And so they really, um, she has a lot of chances to imagine as if or what if mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. um Anyway, I loved that part of it Um, enough that as it got like a little gory sometimes um, that I was still okay. Um, And the suspense parts, I think I am, I think I can't read suspense generally. Um, And this wasn't suspense, but um, because I'm so good at imagining all kinds of other things that could be going wrong, that I just add too much to actual suspense. So this was plenty suspenseful for me. Because there were multiple times where there were, like, hints of, like, oh, I wonder if, where, like, I was, like, oh, my gosh, and what if this happened and what if this happened? And so I just, um, I enjoyed that it was not as suspenseful as my imagination would have made it out to be.
0: <laughs> I guess I was, I went into it absolutely cold. I had no knowledge of this author. I had not heard a word about this book. Um but it has the word magic in the title, which is good, it does. and which is yay. And I was like, I could get Marion to read this. Yeah, <laughs> and I I really like the cover of it, which you know is like a thing for me. If I if I think a book is good looking, I will read it or try to. And I a thing that I do with a book is I'm like, where would I shelve this in the store? And because I was not being particularly observant, I didn't like turn it around and see that it says just fantasy, not YA or anything, but just fantasy. And I didn't go to Goodreads and read up on it and see what other people thought. I just read it cold. And it took me a long time to decide where to shelve it that it's just pure fantasy novel because I don't know. I'm trying to think of other fantasy novels that I have read that also work as like a hard-boiled detective novel of the old school hard-drinking, noir, uh, varietal. I can't think of another. It's it's very original.
1: Yeah, it felt very original. And the narrative voice was really strong and really consistent. It is. It's just,
0: yeah. I guess there's like, Dirk Gently, I guess, counts as a, and And the Jasper Ford books, I guess, count as fantasy detective novels, but they're not like this one in terms of tone. Um, yeah, so it's just I was extremely surprised by it because I wasn't expecting that, and it's not like a book that I have read before
1: <laughs> right and it can be really hard to decide to try a book where the comparisons are like. Um, well, this doesn't compare to anything. Everyone, yeah. Like all the publishing stuff says, don't write books that don't compare to anything. That don't compare. And I was like, what would the comps be? Because you can write a great book, and readers are willing to take the risk on it. Sure. And, it, and I think that's
0: kind of fascinating, kind of the pathway to publication aspect. Another class I went to recently uh, was on Call Pathways to Publication, actually. And it was with a, a New York agent who came out here to the flyover country. And she was talking about various books that she has sold for her clients and how that client came to her and how the book that they sold came into being and how it got sold and how it did out in the world. And there's a million different pathways, not just one. But... Uh, This particular author, I think is fascinating because she has a lot of, over the past several years, a lot of short stories, particularly the tour published and then moved into novellas and now has moved up to a novel. So this is a very uh, lovely logical progression instead of jumping straight into long form writing immediately, which because of the death of print magazines that used to publish people's short stories and make them famous Mm -hmm. as a short story writer before they became a novelist. I think that particular pathway has maybe gone sideways um, a lot. So clearly it has worked for her to give her the amount of street cred, I guess, going in to write this unusual book. And I wonder if she, if it was, if she hadn't had all those publishing credits with Tor with, shorter stuff in the award-winning novellas and stuff, whether if she was cold-calling an agent trying to get an agent and sell this book and whether she got an agent and the agent was trying to sell it to the publisher, does the publisher say, I don't know where to shelve this, I don't know what the comps are, I don't know how to sell this book.
1: Versus if you already are having short stories published by Tor and Tor already is excited to see what else you can do.
0: Right, and knows that you're a very fine it. writer
1: edit and shape it into something also marketable
0: right and take the chance on marketing you and it has a fairly big marketing campaign apparently that's one thing i like about arcs they tell you what's the marketing plan for this right
1: like we want everyone to read this um like honestly this would make a cool movie
0: it would make a cool movie or limited series Mm -hmm. uh and i was wondering do you think it's the first in a series, like, do you think Ivy Gamble as a character will be back with more cases, or is it just a standalone?
1: Um, on Goodreads, the author says it is a standalone.
0: Okay. Uh-huh. And, and I was interested, because, like, series detectives, in terms of their personal arc or timeline, a series detective doesn't really change very much from one book to the next, you know? Uh,
1: right.
0: Nancy Drew is always Nancy Drew. She doesn't have a huge, mind-blowing a change in her life, every book. And for a long time, one of the main things through this book, I think, is like Ivy Gamble's examination of herself and her expectations and her thoughts. But on the other hand, it didn't feel like it had a huge character arc for her either. Um, She's maybe a more hopeful person or more understanding of self person at the end, but I didn't feel like she was a different person at the
1: end. I sort of disagree. Okay. Except that we don't see most of it. But I think she's a less unreliable narrator at the end. That's what you have to believe if you believe it had a good character arc. So I think it has to be a standalone because if it was a series, then you have to not believe (laughs) that she's now a more reliable narrator of her life. And in those final pages where she, you know...
0: Yeah, and she has worked through, a lot. I mean, she has a lot of lingering, the drinking, she drinks like a lot, and I think a lot of yeah. that is related to her, maybe her bitterness over her lack of, of magic, or uh, her mother has died a long time before the book starts, and like the death of her mother, and the emotional fallout, of the death of her mother, and the death of her father, and and her dissatisfaction with her own life, and she has, by the end of the book, worked through some of that, or recognize that she needs to make a change, but you're just starting to see her make the change. And I thought it might be a standalone because I'm like, well, she's, she has done a lot of her work, even though we haven't seen the results of it yet.
1: Right. Or doing all that internal work.
0: Or we don't know whether the results are going to be satisfactory uh, or, or beneficial to her. So you could write it as a series. Maybe if she, if it doesn't turn out well or leads her to a, a different place that we haven't seen yet at the end of this book but on the other hand I thought well maybe it is a standalone because as a character she's not going to be as hard drinking in book two presumably you know as she would be in this one because she drinks a lot she does (laughs) I was like Ivy dang
1: you know hold it down and then she notices that she's drunk a lot yeah she notices oh there's a lot of bottles here a lot of bottles maybe I shouldn't drink like that because when she's drinking so heavily that she's not narrating the story we don't see those parts uh, because it's a good narration
0: yeah as as just a not as a fantasy novel but as a, a mystery novel did you feel like it it worked well as
1: a mystery novel i thought it did i don't read a ton of mystery novels um but i was able to have ideas that kind of happened and have ideas that didn't happen and not feel like there were weird red herrings that tricked me too much. Yeah. What about you, though? Um,
0: I used to read a lot of mystery novels. And actually, one of the two books I read last month was a mystery novel on the Serial Reader app, which was Murder on the Links by Agatha Christie, which is, of course, a really, really, really old book. But it's a classic uh, murder mystery in that you have the murder and then a detective arrives, And the scenes are almost all of the detective questioning the various suspects and uh, false leads and and planting in your head that this person is the murderer uh, and then they're not or uh, twists and turns on there. And for the most part, I felt like it followed that pattern. Now, she does do some traditional Interviewing of a person, you know, she interviews students and staff and stuff. Some of which you see, and some of which you don't. Uh, so I felt like it had a pretty, pretty good traditional thing, except there weren't maybe as many different suspects as a traditional murder mystery novel would have. Um, a pretty, pretty limited thing on that. I
1: felt like one of the reasons for that was because the ways in which the suspects might have on purpose or accidentally committed the murder were part of the yeah. part of the list of suspects. Mm-hmm. And
0: it, it and if you added too much of that maybe it could have maybe like the like you said it's a character-driven novel. And if it's a character-driven novel instead of a plot-driven novel like Murder on the Lynx is, you need to spend more time with the thoughts of your character instead of just the actions of your character. So it's a more introspective and book than just a pure... because we don't
1: live in that fantasy world, and our unreliable narrator doesn't live in that world of magic... Right. She had to learn stuff while we learned stuff, which which made for, I thought, good reveals.
0: Yeah. I, I actually really loved that part of it, how the murder has taken place in a magical high school, right, where her yeah. sister Tabitha works... And what I loved is how completely average that school is. Okay. Yeah. When you're used to like magic school books, of which there's a whole million magic school books, and the magic school is always fantastical. You know, uh, Hogwarts with its amazing dining hall, great hall ceiling, and uh, the magic's going on all the time. And I thought that the magic in this book would really appeal to you, Lissa, because it's very scientific. There. I did like it. It's <laughs> was like, this, and it was a really good magic system.
1: But it was a book. Yeah. It was a
0: book. But like the school is just an average high school with magic graffiti on the lockers instead of regular graffiti on the lockers and magic notes instead passing instead of regular note passing. Um, but the students... And
1: like magic mean kids.
0: Magic mean kids instead of regular mean kids. But other than that, they're just like every other real land high school book, not, not as, as sparkly glittery unicorn as most magic school books are. And I just loved that about it, um, that people are people, even if you give them crazy magic powers. And again, it was not a treatment of the magic school concept that I have seen before from anybody. Which I hadn't. E- I hadn't either, and I, I
1: mean, I haven't sought out a lot of books like that. But I thought this was because of the limitations of the narrative perspective. Uh-huh. It really helped us as readers only see the parts we needed to see for the story. And and peri- it wasn't about them. Yeah, and
0: periodically Ivy will, you know, she'll hear from somebody some magic babble or read some magic babble, none of which she understands, and she'll, you know, spout it off as if she understands it. And I really loved that. That that our journey in understanding how this magic works is just as confused and unknowing as hers is which i just enjoyed uh, very much i did not have
1: much because we weren't left out
0: yeah yeah we we're learning as she learns and nobody in this book for the most part is taking the time to explain it to her you know there's not that character who says well this is how blah 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 works and
1: even more than that
0: the she has to
1: cover for herself she does like she knows yeah I, I there's a, a,
0: a coffee maker in a teacher's lounge and you have to use a spell to get it to work to stop students from drinking coffee all the time
1: yes. and
0: and I was like oh my goodness how is she ever going to get a cup of coffee again you know she's going to have to drink it at home I guess or get it at the 7-eleven and bring it with her because she's never going to bluff people into constantly making her coffee for her but she can't no. do it herself
1: it was it, fabulous.
0: Yeah. And I didn't, it wasn't a book I had a lot of complaints about for a change, Lissa, I know this is a shocker.
1: I'm a little shocked.
0: Mm-hmm. It's not, I, toward the end, in the last third of the book, it got more into kind of the sex lives of students and staff. Yeah. Uh, which I was sad in some ways, a little bit that that was kind of the direction the mystery was taking, and then on the other hand, I thought, oh, but that's so mundane, just like this school is so mundane, and all these people are so mundane um they're they're realistic instead of
1: it's super duper high school
0: it's super duper high school, and like one and of the one of the people, yeah, one of the students you meet right at the beginning who discovers the dead body he believes that he's the chosen one you know and a big prophecy coming down and then that isn't the direction that the book is taking for the most part you know it's not Harry Potter having being the chosen one or but it
1: wasn't a complete like subvert the trope like in yeah kill the farm like kill like it like, kill the farm like farm that Boy. it was just this could be a thing and he believes it's and a thing. sure he believes the trope yeah but he's not but, the main character
0: and I expected it to be a plot point to a greater degree than it was when I first when he first appeared on a page with this obsession about being the chosen one and it must be him. Um I believed that it was going to be a major player in the book. And when it wasn't, I was like, well that's kind of cool. So in some ways, the last third I was like, oh man, I wish it had not taken this turn. And on the other hand, I was like, it's kind of cool that it took this turn. So but on a whole those are all
1: things like we can understand. Right. Versus some like super duper duper magic.
0: Right. So. Yeah. Oh, so on I, whole. On
1: a whole, it's a winner for me. I was
0: impressed. Which. Me too. Which we know I'm not often impressed. <laughs> You're not but, often impressed. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I have. Um yeah, I don't want to like give away the the end to people because the book's not out and nobody's had a chance to read it yet. But I would, I would recommend this one for just about everybody. I think it's,
1: yeah. I agree. Yeah, um, yeah. It did good things for me. Like sometimes lately, I'm reading for characters where I can learn from their life experience, and I'm not a PI and I don't have a magic sister, but. I think the idea of like how you narrate your own story and what you're willing to admit about yourself or not when narrating it is something I'm reading for right now. And so, this was fabulous. Yeah.
0: And 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 then on the flip side, we have me who I'm reading for escapism and entertainment. Right. And and it provided that to me as as well in terms of it can be very funny and very charming and clever uh, as yes. well as as you genuinely, at least I genuinely, you know, worried about Ivy. I'm like, Ivy, gotta get it in one sock, girl. You know, you cannot go around living like this or you're going to burn out really fast. So I did have a connection with the characters, which is which is lovely. And I was rooting for her. Uh, and the characters, of whom there are many, were distinct enough that I could keep them apart, even when I was reading super fast uh, and in breaks in a literary festival and stuff to get it done for today, it didn't confuse me or get muddied for me in the way so many do. So, yeah. Well done, Definitely Sarah Gailey.
1: Really well done. Well done, Sarah Gailey. I agree.
0: Yep. You've got a fan or two here now. And I will read. I will wait for the Western fantasy with bated breath and be in line to read that one. Yeah, immediately. But first,
1: go back and read the hippo. Ones. But first, go back
0: and read all those hippo. I'm like hippo novellas, yes, please bring them to me. So,
1: yeah, it's fabulous. It's fabulous.
0: So, so big win there.
1: Big win. Maybe like, is this our first big win?
0: I think maybe yes. I mean, I don't. know. I mean, I had, I read two books that you love previously, and I did like them. As, yeah, yeah, but that was not the same. But they're not the same. Not a brand new book. I didn't know anything about. So yeah, big win. Right.
1: Well, I owe so you. Can, one. We so can
0: we can read books I and we can like them. Ha 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 ha. Oh
1: my god! And we can tell others.
0: <laughs> Yay! We had <laughs> to a breakthrough. Our mission. That's right. That's our mission of of spreading books and love through the universe.
1: It's, it'll be good. We might eventually succeed at it. Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: So that about wraps up Magic for Liars. Yes. And do you want to talk about what we're going to be doing next time?
1: Yes. Um, We are um, listening to, are you listening? You're listening, Yes, listening. I'm listening to Dodger by Terry Pratchett, um, which I started after you because you said, oh, I'm listening to this and it's fabulous. And I said, okay. (laughs) And I downloaded it. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And and since then I will say that my, my daughter has had me check out the paper copy from her for her from the library because she likes paper books because she likes the way they smell and feel. And I was like but, I was like but you should listen to the audio because the audio has you know this wonderful accent and so forth and she's like no nope, paper is the way to go. So maybe I'll take a look at the paper copy of it too
1: see if it's different yeah see but i'll I'll, I'll, I'll just hear yeah
0: how are these but i will just hear it in my head anyway now
1: oh, that's the great thing about audio and it's spring so we can listen while we work in our yards that's right or at least that's what i've been doing <laughs> all right well um hopefully people will join us next time um, for today, we want to thank you for listening to the Book Evangelist podcast, and please remember to listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and send us your comments and, of course, your book recommendations at thebookevangelist at gmail.com. <music>